What we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to ask the church to focus on certain spiritual disciplines. Uh, Even though the sermons will be a bit disconnected from those disciplines, today it's not, but normally it will be. Every week, though, you'll be introduced to a new spiritual discipline that we hope you will practice for that week, uh, moving us toward uh, Easter season. We've been, all kinds of people in our church have been focused on spiritual disciplines uh, as we entered this spring, and the, the men's group in there, and uh, Sunday morning Bible class here, and the, the uh, Thursday morning ladies study, and there, and there may be others. Uh, maybe even the teens are doing something with spiritual disciplines. So we're, we're all focused on spiritual disciplines. The life group's been focused on spiritual disciplines. So we're going to continue that uh, as we focus on a spiritual discipline each week before we head to Easter. I hope you take that seriously. And what that means uh, for all of us today is that there's going to be a, a, a bit of a challenge Because we're going to engage with Scripture today and then really ask you to reflect on that and as you go through the rest of the week to be thinking about what it is that you should do with this particular spiritual discipline. And today it's all about giving. In 1982, Robin and I left university to begin our first ministry position. It was my first full-time job. I had worked part-time before that, but it was my first full-time job out of university into the world making big bucks. Up until then, Robin had supported us through the last couple of years of school. And so I remember very clearly she was making $400 a month at the bank where she worked at in Abilene, Texas. Our rent was $178 a month So that took a huge portion of it. My Volkswagen took about $7 per fill-up. And so that took a portion of it. We actually had very little left to give to the Lord. We tried to give a little bit, but honestly, we didn't give, you know, we just didn't give that much to the Lord. So when we got into this first full-time ministry position, all of a sudden, I was making $17,600 a year, which we knew was going to put us in a position where we, I mean, we were now doing so much better than we had been before. So I get to this new position, and we're there, uh, you know, start working away, and we're thinking, well, we need to make a church contribution. And within the first few weeks that I'm there, the elders, I don't know if they're kind of anticipating the fact that I've come on and now they need to do something about me being there, I'm not sure what, but we all decided in an elders meeting to write down on a blank piece of paper 10% of our income. So I'm making $17,600 a year, and we're supposed to write down a piece of paper 10% of our income, and that was going to be our contribution. So all the elders and staff said, we are going to commit, each one of us, to making sure that we tithe. We're going to give 10% of our income to the church. Well, I had been in graduate school, and I'm, you know, I'm Bible college, and so I'm learning all these things. And one of the things that, I, that struck me or that somebody said along the lines was, you know, if the Jews are called to give 10% of their income to the Lord's work, those of us who are Christians who receive the bloody of, blood of Christ should be even more grateful and maybe we should give more. And so this 10% for us should become some kind of minimum. So I thought, well, that makes perfect sense to me and I'm now making huge dollars. And so... I quickly figured it out, and Robin and I decided we would give 13% of our income, our gross income, to the church. And so on that piece of paper, I can remember like it was yesterday, I wrote down 2288. 13% of my income was going to go to the church. And, 
you know, we didn't, we can't do that all the time, or we haven't done that all the time, I should say. But there were times in the beginning when we felt like this is exactly what God is calling us to because of the sacrifice of Jesus. He calls us to give more than just this legislated amount from the Old Testament. And so the Jews were called to give 10%. It makes sense to me, however, that if Jesus has given himself completely to us, that out of the gratefulness of the human heart for what God has done, that while that might be some kind of minimum, some kind of limit, we simply can't legislate what it is that should come out of the human heart and therefore even out of the human pocketbook with reference to what Christ has done for us. You know, almost nothing from the New Testament is legislated about our worship together. Like there's just, there's, you can't go to the New Testament and say, Where's the, what am I supposed to do in terms of worship? There's so little there that tells us exactly what we're supposed to do in worship. So it's strange to me that we would think we should have some kind of legislated amount when it comes to giving to the Lord. And we want our hearts to be full and to give to the Lord not some legislated amount, but an amount that the heart directs us as we reflect on Christ. So yes, I'm talking about giving this morning. And if you're a guest with us this morning, you think, that's great. I came on the Sunday when the preacher's asking everybody for money. (laughs) And I have to tell you that there have been exactly two times. I've been in ministry since 1982. There have been two times since 1982 when I have preached on giving. And one of those is today. Only once in the 15 years that I was in Victoria did I ever preach on giving. This is the first time ever in Calgary that I've ever preached on giving. And it's not because there's some crisis going on. He's finally preaching on giving because we're going down the tubes financially. No. I'm preaching on giving because the Bible calls us as Christians to give. And so I'm not a TV evangelist who stands up and says, if you send in your prayer cloth or send in your $10, I'm going to send you a prayer cloth that I've kissed. Okay? And if you send me $500, I'm going to give you a prayer blanket that I've kissed. It doesn't work that way. Instead, Christ simply wants us out of our reflection on what Jesus has done for us. For us to give. So I'm going to talk about three things this morning. I'm going to talk about money. And then I'm going to talk about lordship. And then I'm going to talk about grace. And so first, money. I was once talking to an old leader in the church who'd been a Christian for over 40 years. And I asked him, what is the biggest problem that the church has? And he summed it up in one word. And he said, it's money. We have, he said, too much of it. So that therefore, we don't have enough. And I thought that was a really strange thing to say. We have too much of it, and therefore we don't have enough? What an odd thing to say. Why would you say that? And the answer was simply this. 
Because when we have too much, when we as a society, when we as a people, when we as a church have too much money, it becomes a focus. All of a sudden, it catches your attention. We start to be able to do things in our own lives with our money. And it is so easy in our society for it to be available that it becomes a focus in our lives and too precious to us. And so we end up holding on to it or spending it on countless pleasures rather than giving appropriately to the needs of the kingdom. Christians have too much ready access to money so that therefore the Christian church ends up not having enough. Because we like having all that money. We like doing nice things with all of that money for ourselves. And so we think about how to get it. We think about how to spend it. We think about how to save it. We think about how we don't have enough. How we can get more. How we can keep what we have. We talk about it. We worry about it. We stay up late at night thinking about it. Husbands and wives, they fight about it. Do you know that one of the leading causes of divorce in North America is that husbands and wives fight about money and they fight about it all the time? They fight about how to spend it, what the priority should be, how they don't have enough, how you're wasting it and I'm not. And you've had those conversations because you're just like all those other people and you're just like me. And sometimes that's what we do. We fight with each other even about Money. Well, all of that is very unfortunate. Because scripture has some things to say about money that should shape our thinking. Like, for instance, this from 1 Timothy chapter 6. But godliness, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. By the way, does that ring true with you? Those who want to get rich... These are my italics, by the way. The Lord didn't put these in there. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Think about that. People, because they love money, wander from the truth, from the faith, and pierce themselves with many griefs because of their love for money. So it's not surprising that Paul says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not surprising that if you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, what you see is that In the list of qualifications for an elder, it specifically says he cannot be a lover of money. 2 Timothy 3 says, but mark this. And, and, you know, we, we think of this passage all the time about how there's this evil trend within society. We must be heading to the last days because things are heading down the tubes. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. 
People will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money, Paul says. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Well, it's interesting. It just strikes me. I never thought about this. It never come across my desk or mind before. That the love of money is consistently talked about in Scripture. And not in positive terms. It would appear as though loving money is a disaster for Christians. And I would say for human beings in general. How much of a disaster? Well, I can think of at least twice in Scripture where the love of money led directly to someone's death. The first one's in Acts chapter 5. And you know their names. Ananias and Sapphira. And they're famous because they sold some money, lied to the apostles about how much the money was worth because they didn't want to give all that money to the church. And so they lied about it, said it was half of the money that they'd sold it for, gave it to the church, and what happens? One falls over dead, and a moment later the other one comes in and tells the same lie, and they fall over dead, and they're both carried out, dead as doornails because they lied to the Holy Spirit about what? Money. And then there's another one. You know what the other one is where somebody died in direct relation to the money that someone sought? 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord is crucified. And Judas dies splitting open in a field because he loved 30 pieces of silver. So it's not surprising that Jesus would say that it's really hard for the rich to get into the kingdom of heaven. Not because being rich is a sin, but because having riches can be so very destructive. And we, like the rich young ruler, are told by Jesus, give it all up for me. And we sometimes, like the rich young ruler walk away sad because we're asked to give something up. And so the the first challenge this morning has to do with money and our love of it. And we need to be careful about loving money. The second major challenge has to do with lordship. And we have a little skit that's prepared that's going to express something about lordship. I am a mere woman. Once I was married. My dear husband was a tradesman in Jerusalem. He was a carpenter, like his father before him and his father before him. He was proud of his trade, but such a humble man, so kind and so generous. His skill provided well for our family. Until one day he died suddenly in the workshop. And I became a poor widow. Once we traded with shopkeepers and street vendors for food and supplies. And then I became at their mercy 
for scraps. Once I had a home, but I lost it to the teachers of the law. A lone woman could never meet the demands of their tithing and their taxes. I had to find shelter under a tree. My life has been hard since my husband died. And some days, it's been a struggle to not feel bitter and resentful for my misfortune. But then, then I heard about Jesus. He was a carpenter, like my husband, but so much more. He says he's the son of God. I believe him. I've heard about his miraculous healings and his powerful teachings. Just the other day, he arrived in Jerusalem, and he's been teaching about God in the temple. He was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. I do. My whole life God has provided for me in my times of plenty and in my times of terrible need. He is faithful. Each day he brought me food and shelter and companionship. I depend on him and he cares for me. God is my Jehovah Jireh. And that means the Lord will provide. And so I've come here today to the temple to bring my offering freely to the treasury. Not because I have to but because I desire to. All I bring are these two small copper coins. In my poverty, many would say that I don't have much. But with God, I have everything. He is my everything. May he be honored and glorified with my gift. It is small, but it is sincere. I give my life, my all. I have nothing, but I have everything in him. And I am so thankful. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow was put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything. All she had to live on. I just want us to ask this question this morning with reference to this. Why did the woman put in so much? It wasn't because she had a lot to give. It wasn't because she had a lot on which to live. 
She actually gave out out of her poverty. It was simply because she was devoted to God. And this is so compelling because that's not what was required of her. This woman was giving as a Jew to the temple treasurer. She was asked under the Mosaic law to give 10%. But she had no 10% rule in her mind, even though that's what the Mosaic law required of her. She gave all she had because God had all of her heart. She was grateful to him. She loved the Lord with all her heart, all her soul, all her mind, all her strength, and all her possessions. And the fact is, is that if Jesus is Lord of your money, he ultimately is responsible for how much you have. And then he wants you to let his lordship in your life, be the motivating factor in how you use what it is that he has given to you. Well, that's the second challenge. The third challenge has to do with grace. And for this, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In the Pew Bibles, it's on page 820. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you. But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first, not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means." For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you're hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality, as it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Well, we don't have time to go through this great passage and it it goes on into second corinthians chapter 9 it's absolutely wonderful in fact i want to encourage you this morning this is part of the challenge go home from here today and this week and read second corinthians 8 again and read second corinthians 9 and see what it has to say about giving and our relationship to money we could talk today about how paul 
recognized that they had this privilege and how they had pleaded with him that they might give. We could talk about how they gave as much as they were able beyond their ability, Paul says. We could talk about the joy and their trials, despite their trials, the joy and the poverty. And yet how that didn't stop them from giving, but they gave anyway. We could talk about their willingness because their wills had been transformed by their love for Christ and his work. There's a lot that we could do with this. There's just two things I want to focus on and then we'll be done. First, number one, Paul says that giving is a grace from God and that they are to excel in this act of grace. Now, this is fascinating to me. When we think of the challenge to us as Christians to give, we don't necessarily think in terms of this being a grace, an opportunity, a gift from God. But that's exactly how Paul describes it here. Look at verse 1 in chapter 8. Notice how it's called here a grace. Look at chapter 8, verse 6. And then verse 7. And notice that throughout this whole passage, the idea is that God has blessed us with the opportunity to give. This is not a burden. This is a joy. This is a gift from God for us to be able to participate in giving over to him. And so we can't separate the grace of God shown to us in Christ. The grace that God shows us by giving us opportunity to give and our grace to others and to the kingdom It's all part of one package. Christ gives himself to us in an act of grace. We receive that act of grace. Then we give over to others as an act of grace to them. And so giving is just one grace after another. In fact, in Greek, these words, gift and giving and grace, it's all etymologically one word. It all fits together. So that grace and gift are all one idea in the Lord. Giving is a grace. And we need to think of it in those terms. So read 2 Corinthians 8 this week and think about this grace of giving. The second thing is this. Paul says in verse 8, look at verse 8. That their willingness to give is a direct indicator of their sincerity and their love. And the question is... Do you love Christ? And you know, a lot of times some TV evangelist will ask that question. Do you love God? Then send me money. But it's a real question. Do you love Christ? And if you do... Does that not challenge you to think seriously about his lordship even over your bank account? And if that sounds too much like the TV evangelist, just remember, I've never done this before. If you can't give as much as you'd like, start giving something and then pray And plan with intentionality for increasing your giving. One of the things that you can do starting this week is to make intentional plans to change your giving pattern. And so we're focused for this week specifically on the spiritual discipline of giving. 
And I really do pray that you read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Pray through that and ask God to bless you. Make this a priority. This for you this week should be more than a pro, uh, more of a priority than your RSP. This should be more of a priority than whether or not you buy a new car or keep the old beater around for another year. The book of Acts describes how the church made plans intentionally concerning their giving, and you should too. Have you been intentional in the way that you've gone about demonstrating your love for God in your giving? The Jews were supposed to give 10% right off the top. They gave the very best. And I think Christ expects from us at least as much as that. He certainly doesn't expect us to give out of our leftovers. So it's hard for me to imagine a Christian sitting down and saying, well, here are all my expenses. If I've got something left here at the end of the month, I'll give that to the church. Hard for me to see Christ expecting that of us. Remember, I asked this elderly fellow here at the beginning about why the church isn't more successful, and he replied that it had to do with money. We have too much of it, so therefore we don't have enough. Well, in the days of Malachi, there was a problem with Israel. They weren't doing so well with their offerings. Their offerings were too little. They were substandard. They weren't giving to God what would honor him. And this was, of course, before Christ. Now I think we should be challenged to give even more. So the prophet Malachi, who obviously decided it was important for him to talk about giving more than once every 10 years or so, said to Israel these words. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you that you won't have room for it. Now what that says to me is that not only is giving a grace, but it is met with God by blessing. And I'm not going to say today that if you give a certain amount that God's going to give you a certain amount. It doesn't work that way. These guys who stand up in television and say this, if you just give, God is going to shower down all his blessings on you and he makes it sound as though it's an investment. Give 10% and he's going to give you more. Well, I actually know people who've given a lot and it hasn't worked out so well for them financially, but they gave themselves completely to God. So I don't know about material blessing. But I can assure you that there will be spiritual blessing for those who give themselves and even their money sacrificially to Christ. Sometimes we're too afraid to risk. Sometimes we're too selfish to give. Sometimes we're not intentional and our giving isn't what it really should be given who Jesus is. But God wants to bless us spiritually with joy and peace with all the good things that we would seek if we give ourselves to him. And so this week I want you to think. I want you to pray. I want you to plan. I want you to be intentional. I want you to wrestle with what it means for the Holy Spirit to talk to you in your heart about the grace of giving. And I pray that you're blessed. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful today for the privilege and opportunity we have to talk about money. I'm grateful that we can talk, God, about what it means for us to make sacrifices to you. And Father, I pray that you would work on our hearts. Father, we know that 
where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. And we want to have our hearts in the right place. And so we pray, God, you put our treasures in the right place. Help us, Father, to be willing to look at where we're at financially. And to choose, Father, to make sacrifices for you. And thank you, God, for blessing us with this grace. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen.